Hi, I'm Tom Choda from Monash University, and I'm here with Lee Jones to discuss a new research report he's written with Shah Hamiri for the Chatham House think tank entitled Debunking the Myth of Debt Trap Diplomacy, How Recipient Countries Shape China's Belt and Road Initiative. So to begin with, Lee, what is this debt trap diplomacy that you're trying to debunk? Hi, Tom. Well, debt trap diplomacy is the idea that China is going around the world with the Belt and Road Initiative, offering debt to poor developing countries to build infrastructure projects that China wants to see built. And then when the poor country falls into debt distress, that allows China to seize the asset and use it for its own purposes or otherwise exert leverage over that over that country in debt distress. Okay, so what, what's exactly wrong with this debt trap diplomacy narrative? Isn't China using the Bree projects to advance its geopolitical interests? Um, well, we argue in the uh, report that it's not uh, the case. So the BRI is is really rooted in China's economic problems. There's deep problems in the Chinese economy of overcapacity, surplus capital, faltering growth, collapsing profitability, and so on. And the BRI is really an attempt to externalize all that, to try mm-hmm. to get uh, other countries to soak up all that capital and, and capacity. Um, now, you might well say, well, still China will try to get something out of it geopolitically. Um, But if you look at the way the Chinese development financing system works, it is not very strategic. It's not very top-down at all. Um, It's recipient-driven. Chinese development financing has always been recipient-driven. So disbursements start with requests from foreign countries. They don't start with planners in Beijing. And then there are many, many different agencies involved, and they're not very well coordinated. Uh, the diplomatic and strategic parts of the state are not really involved. It's mostly economic decision making, um, and it, it's it's very piecemeal. So it, they they evaluate projects on a case by case basis, and their ability to do that and manage risk is really limited. So what you tend to find is that the 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 projects that emerge really are pushed by recipients and by um, state-owned enterprises within China that are looking for business overseas. And so it's not emanating from some kind of strategic master plan in Beijing. Yeah, on this notion of recipient countries, where do they come in? The subtitle of your report is how recipient countries shaped China's brie. How do you think they do that? Well, debt trap diplomacy assumes a very cunning, active and agential China and a very kind of hapless, um, kind of stupid uh, non-agential position for the recipient countries mm. that they're just falling into this debt trap laid by Beijing. And the argument that we make is that they're not helpless dupes. Uh, they have their own reasons for participating in the BRI. And uh, that shapes what actually happens in terms of project selection, design, um, and so on. What gets built in the, in the name of the BRI is the result of dynamics on the Chinese side, which are often very fragmented and non-coordinated, and mm. dynamics on the recipient side. So recipients have all kinds of reasons for wanting to to accept BRI projects. There's basically, you can call it need and greed. Need is uh, they desperately need infrastructure development. There's a global shortfall of about $18 trillion in infrastructure investment forecast by 2040. And Western donors have basically abandoned this space to China. Um, They're just focusing on useless good governance interventions. But then there's also this kind of nefarious motives like uh, elites. Uh, construction is a very is a phenomenally con- corrupt sector, um, not just in BRI countries, but worldwide. And you find that elites can use these projects to extract kickbacks, 
they can insert their business cronies into lucrative joint ventures, and they can direct um, they can direct big projects at areas that are electorally sensitive to their home districts, for example. So what you yeah. find in practice when you look at any BRI project, it always reflects this two-way interface. It's not just this strategic top-down approach from China. It's it's a relationship between elite interests on both sides. Yeah, so this is quite a different view of the breed that we usually hear from the media, from Western governments, and people often point to Sri Lanka as an example of debt trap diplomacy, where the Chinese loaned money to the government for a port, and then they got into debt, debt distress, and the Chinese took over the port. Isn't that true? <laughs> no, well, no, it's not true. Um, I, we, I mean, I can't go into it in detail. We have, what, six minutes. So, but there is a whole chapter mm. in the report that explains, that takes on the Hambantota port case and shows why everything mm -hmm. that people think they know about this case is wrong. Uh, and we've also got a chapter in there on Malaysia as well that shows that this is another very prominent case, supposedly, of debt trap diplomacy, which, which isn't actually when you look closer at it. Okay, I guess people should just check that out. Um, just finally, to finish up, if we adopt your view of the breed, then what, what does it mean in terms of policy responses, do you think? Well, I think the West has to really rethink the way it thinks about BRI and not, construct, not just confront it as a sinister grand strategy. The West can provide meaningful alternatives to Chinese development and financing. They can help developing countries to evaluate projects better and negotiate better terms with Chinese financiers and developers. And they can support civil society campaigns for better transparency and more public participation in the planning and procurement of these projects. And if they're really uh, you know, thinking big, they could work with China to improve the standards on their projects. And we've already had experience of that with the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank. Okay, well, that's all very interesting. And I do urge our listeners to check this report out on the Chatham House website. Thanks, Lee. Thanks a lot, Tom.